1: Hour three, it's happy hour here on the morning after on Sports Grid. You're listening on SiriusXM channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. This hour, we'll go through the Major League Baseball card. We're going to give you our favorite bets of the day. Also, a new guest here on the show, joining us from here on SiriusXM. He does host for college football on the Big 12 radio. He hosts. It's Ari. Uh, it's Ari Temkin who hosts Big 12. Now we also have Cam Rogers who's going to give us the PGA action coming into the weekend. I'm really excited to have two great guests joining us this hour. It's our West Coast wake up first and we have to talk about what happened in L.A. last night. The Houston Astros end up getting the win 3-0 over the Los Angeles Dodgers. This game was awesome to watch. First, the Astros end up cashing at plus 152 on the money line. Second, it was the first time that the fans in L.A. got to see the Houston Astros ever since all the news came out on the cheating scandal that could have robbed the Dodgers mm. in the 2017 World Series. Ben, you're a Dodgers fan, so you know how those Dodgers fans are feeling unfortunately it just didn't go their way last night
2: it was a world series type atmosphere last night though at the ravine you had Dodger fans lining up outside where the Houston Astros team bus pulls into Dodger Stadium wearing their Asterix shirts to let the Houston Astros know that although it has been a couple of years since the cheating scandal had taken place the Dodgers they never forget as did not the Yankees fans when the Astros showed up to Yankee Stadium. Back in May, but Lance McCullers Jr., the starter for the Houston Astros yesterday, was phenomenal. After two straight starts where he gave up four earned runs yesterday, he blanked the Dodgers. Six and two-thirds innings pitched and nine strikeouts. Walker Buehler, his counterpart yesterday, wasn't bad by any means. Six innings pitched, only one earned run given up. And we talked about yesterday, Ariel, Walker Bueller and his potential Cy Young odds becoming shorter if he put on a phenomenal performance in a big spot against Houston. Well, his odds still became shorter despite suffering the loss going from plus 300 to plus 280. And he is still your favorite to win the National League Cy Young on the FanDuel Sportsbook. But a great game for the Houston Astros winning 3 nothing. The Dodgers still the minus money favorite, though, Ariel, to win the NL West at minus 170.
1: The World Series odds is also something that I'm going to be keeping my eye on through the rest of this series. Currently for the World Series, you've got the Los Angeles Dodgers at 3-1 to and the Astros at plus 460. The Astros gave up five singles with 13 strikeouts against the Dodgers. As for Bueller, you mentioned him. He had a career-high 115 pitches through six innings, one run allowed, five hits allowed, five strikeouts, three walks. Tonight... It's the Dodgers starter, Max Scherzer, who's making his debut in an L.A. uniform. He said he's always wanted to be a Dodger.
2: For us, for me personally, I I was kind of really wanting to kind of, you know, it wasn't the ultimate, but I I did want to stay in the National League. Uh, You know, I have familiarity with this uh, over here, um, especially for these last two months. Um, And obviously, we uh, you to be in warm weather. Uh, That's a good thing for me for pitching as we finish out this year. Um, so uh, obviously, LA was you know being as you know as talented as they are, um, you know obviously that was a team that uh, one team that told uh, the Nationals that uh, I wasn't necessarily going to dictate which team I was going to go to, but rather uh, which team I would accept to trade to.
1: I don't blame him. Warm weather, L.A., sounds nice. Scherzer, 8-4 and four this year with a 2.76 ERA, making his debut tonight with the Dodgers heavily favored at minus 215, the Astros sitting at plus 180. No respect after the Astros won last night. Welcome to our Sports Grid Radio audience, third final hour here on the morning after Sirius XM Channel 204, the Mightier 1090 on the West Coast. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. Ben, there was also some news on the West Coast for anyone waking up with us that there was a potential tra- or a potential pickup happening in Hollywood, and that's for the Dodgers closing in on a deal with Cole Hamels. The Dodgers have been dealing with pitching issues, considering Trevor Bauer uncertain with his off-the-field issues if he'll pitch again this year, and Clayton Kershaw sometimes unreliable going on and off the I.L. Hamels to the Dodgers. Thoughts?
2: The old veteran lefty who has been working out for Major League Baseball teams the last couple of weeks and has looked by all indications pretty good. So it makes sense for the Dodgers to add some depth to that starting staff. Maybe that bullpen rotation for some longer innings as they need to get through the home stretch of this regular season and into the playoffs. I think it is very peculiar though. Ariel when you look at the line tonight between the Astros and the Dodgers. Yes. You would give the pitching advantage to Max Scherzer even in his Dodger debut there inside Dodger Stadium in L.A. But minus 220 to back the Dodgers right now is quite intriguing. Jake Odorizzi going on the other side for the Houston Astros at plus 184. You're talking about a Houston Astros team that is the best offense in baseball, the best record in the American League. You see plus 184 on that team. Maybe the price just entices you to back the Astros because that's way too big of a number, way too big of a plus money number on the team that has the best record in the American League, the second best record in all of Major League Baseball. You bring up a very astute point, by the way, on these World Series odds, the two shortest odds on the World Series board right now on FanDuel facing off the next couple of nights in Dodger Stadium.
1: Here's where the Dodgers can improve tonight. Don't leave 10 runners on base. Don't only get one runner to be at third. Hey, maybe, I don't know, I'm no manager, but I could see that being a big key to success is scoring when you have 10 runners on base. Hint, hint, the Dodgers are heavily favored, so we'll see how things pan out. And we also will continue to break down the Major League Baseball card in a little bit later into the third hour here on Happy Hour Coming up next, we do have a new guest joining us. It's Ari Temkin. He hosts here on SiriusXM for College Radio, a show recording the Big 12. So we will make sure to ask him all the drama going on in the Big 12. You're listening here on SiriusXM, Channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. We've got you covered until noon Eastern time here on The Grid. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this commercial break. here on the morning after on Sports Grid, it's Sirius XM channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. The Big 12 has taken center stage in college football this offseason. Ben, when it comes to the Big 12, it also rippled into other conferences getting into some drama, such as the American Conference, who their, the Commissioner Megaresco said, eh, yeah, we're not in the middle of trying to realign with other conferences what did you make what did you take from these commissioners and all the drama going on between these conferences
2: well what Mike Oresko says for the American Athletic Conference and he says they are not interested in joining the Big 12 or having them merge or trying to acquire any teams wink wink I think he's just saying that right now obviously the Big 12 commissioner Bob Bowlesby had a cease and desist letter sent to ESPN that he has now backed off on, that teams like the American and leagues like the American and ESPN were working behind the scenes to bring in and poach schools from the Big 12, now potentially the Big 8. And of course, this all revolves around Texas and Oklahoma, leaving for the SEC. There is a meeting today between commissioners from the Big 12 and the Pac-12 for a possible merger scheduling alliance. Area also very interesting updates to be had.
1: Joining us now, Ari Temkin. You could catch him right here on Sirius XM, Channel 375 for Big 12 Radio and ESPNU for Channel 84. Ari, thanks for joining us this morning.
3: Appreciate you guys asking me to come on. Thank you.
1: Now, we've seen a lot from the SEC side. The SEC getting Texas, Oklahoma, SEC all over the place. From the Big 12 perspective, how on a game-by-game basis for the next four years are we expected to see the other teams respond on the field to Texas and Oklahoma?
3: Yeah, that's certainly going to be, you know, certainly for this season, one of the most interesting parts of this entire dynamic. Um, you know, I I don't think the Texas and Oklahoma will be playing in the Big Twelve for the next four seasons. I think at most uh, they're out after 2022 and and starting in 2023 into the SEC, where you know the amount that they would owe back to the Big Twelve would be cut in half from what they owe now at 80 million each. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question. I mean, it is it's. You know, I think that just the, the, the psychological dynamic for Oklahoma and Texas this year, you know, given some of the ugliness we, we might see across this conference, you know, it's always there. Oklahoma's won the conference six straight years, so there's always a target on their back, and, and Texas is Texas, and so, you know, there's always a target on their back. Um, but, yeah, I, I wonder how much of the pressure will mount for those players. Um, and, and I think just the dynamic of how the coaches handle that you know, whether they disregard it and, and completely diminish it uh, or, or, you know, or take it on head on and, and address it and embrace it. I, I just think that's really part of the whole psychological piece to, to coaching, you know, every year, but certainly this year when it comes to those specific universities and, and you know, how, um, you know, upset, how hurt the feelings are amongst the rest of the, the eight members left.
2: All right, we are a betting show, so I would set the line for the over-under totals we would see of horns down in every game against Texas this year, probably at three and a half, four and a half, and the over has the juice. But you talk about those eight schools remaining in the Big 12 Conference as of right now. What do you think is next for those member institutions?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think anybody that tells you that they know is lying. Doesn't know what they're talking about um, because nobody knows. None of the actors here know. I don't think Bob Bulsbee knows. I don't think um, Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, knows. I don't think Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the ACC, knows. I don't think George Klievkov, the commissioner of the Pac-12, knows. So I, you know, I, I just I don't think anybody has really any idea of what this holds. I think there's a lot of meetings that are going to be handled. Uh, obviously, the Big Twelve and the Pac-12 had a, you know, a meeting that was made public yesterday to sort of discuss the potential of coming together and working together in some sort of alliance or merge. Um, You know, I I think there will be similar conversations certainly from Bob Volsby, but I would imagine the big 10, the PAC 12, if they haven't yet already spoken, um, I would imagine, you know, there's various schools here that have reached out um, to the ACC, the PAC 12, the big 10 to to gauge interest level. So, you know, I think there's sort of a a game of Thrones element to this very much, (laughs) you know, and, you know, so you've got backstabbing going on. You've got, you know, Behind closed doors, conversations happening that are maybe different from what we're hearing publicly. Little finger. And so I, I, yeah, I exactly. And yet, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's really not a Game of Thrones because we know who we know who's sitting in the Iron Throne. So it's more of like a second place Game of Thrones, I guess. Because <laughs> it's like everybody gets there and then they turn around and it's Nick Saban. You know, like Nick Saban turns around, he's like, "I've been here the whole time." Um, no, but I'm, i I just, I do think that you know there is so many factors at play here. If you ask me to look at my crystal ball, I'd think, you know, that the big 12 has to make a big play here. And the thing is like the big 12 is the one that's the most wounded duck, obviously, but the pac 12s, you know, their, their television revenue is not great. It's fifth of the power five. They have a bad uh, network that has not done well in terms of distribution and money. The ACC is locked into a deal with the through 2036. That's, you know, pals in comparison to what the big 10 and the SEC are getting and especially what the SEC will get. So like as bad as it looks for the big 12, I don't think the ACC and the Pac-12 can just sit there and say we're fine the way that we are. You know, I do think that there is a lot more at play here and at stake for those conferences as well as the the chasm between what the SEC is going to be getting. You know, I mean, there's projections that the SEC money will be between sixty and seventy million per school. I mean, the ACC is around thirty million, right? So, like, we're talking about two to one every year, and it compounds every single year. So, it's just like that's not sustainable for any of these conferences and there's nobody that the ACC is not going to add a Kansas and an Oklahoma State and suddenly get you know 60 to 70 million per school I get that certainly they could add Notre Dame and do that but I don't know that Notre Dame is incentivized to join a conference so in the absence of that it's going to be very interesting to see sort of how conferences get creative to make up that gap between the SEC the Big Ten and everybody else
1: I would love to be a fly on the wall in that room with all those conferences yeah. and all the commissioners. We're here with Ari Temkin, joining us here on the morning after. You can catch him here on Sirius XM, Big 12 Radio on Channel 375, and ESPNU at Channel 84 here on Sirius. Ari, when it comes to this year, because Oklahoma, Texas still participating in the Big 12, at least for this season, Oklahoma the heavy favorite to win uh, on the odds board, to win the Big 12 Conference then you look to what Lincoln Riley's done as a head coach in Oklahoma. He's gotten them to the college football playoff. They just can't get out of the semifinals. What is it about this year with Oklahoma that could potentially be an actual title contender?
3: It's really hard for me to be unbiased about Oklahoma, Texas right now, if I'm being honest. <laughs> you know, like like two weeks ago, I, I would have admitted that I voted Texas number two in the Big 12. And Bijan Robinson, the running back, is the offensive uh, player of the year. Uh, I, now I now I'm all Iowa State. Let's go Iowa State. But um, <laughs> look, I, I think Iowa State is certainly the value pick here, and maybe Texas um, in terms of winning the Big Twelve. And, and I you know showing the odds here right now on screen, um, TCU is another good one in terms of value plays in this conference. TCU, Phil Steele picked them to win ten games this year. They have a really good defense, despite the despite the players they've lost. I know this isn't your question. I'll get to the, your question in a second, but you're showing the Big Twelve odds right now, so I want to address some value there. Um, at, at TCU, has a really good defense. Gary Patterson historically's had a good defense. They've you know just a great uh, cornerback pairing and uh, Trey Hodges Tomlinson, who's Ladanian Tomlinson's nephew, and uh, and Noah Daniels. And then offensively, I think this is a big step forward for Max Duggan. So value plays for me. In terms of this conference, it would be anybody but Oklahoma, obviously, and maybe TCU and Texas more specifically. In terms of Oklahoma, and that's a great question the way you phrased it, what's different about them this year? They haven't won a playoff game. Uh, they've been to three playoffs, and they've been close once and have been absolutely curb-stomped two other times. So what's different about them? Their defense. Uh, they are really good defensively. Um, we power rank every Wednesday. This, this week we power rank the top five Big 12 defenses. I left Oklahoma off because I was only ranking Big 12 members. But Oklahoma is one of the top defenses in the Big 12 this year. Um, Alex Grinch, I think, is a guy that is, as a defensive coordinator, is going to be in line for some head coaching jobs after this year because of how quickly he's turned around this defense. They've got a really good defensive line, arguably the best defensive line in the country. And, you know, I mean, when you think about the Oklahoma joining the SEC, one of the big things that stands out is, is their defense, especially up front, up to the task. And certainly I think that's what makes them different this year. This is, And Lincoln ad- admitted this much. He didn't say it, but he certainly, it, its you know, the words that he used said it. Like, this is his best all-around team that he's had at Oklahoma. This might not be his best offense, and it probably isn't, you know. I mean, at this point, you have to, Spencer Rattler has to win the Heisman and be the number one overall pick for it to be even considered, considering he had two straight guys that All did right, that. All right, we
1: do have to get to break. We only have 10 seconds left, but catch him here on Sirius Channel 375 and 84. Thank you, and we'll have you on again soon.
0: Appreciate it. Be well.
1: We're back on the morning after on Sports Grid. It's Sirius XM channel two hundred four with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Make sure to follow us not only here all over the grid but on social media as well. Get all the latest updates, breaking news, line changes, and more by following us on Twitter at Sports Grid and at Sports grid TV. Now we switch over to Major League Baseball. We're gonna go to the props market. It's our favorite props in baseball. Let's get to K props. <laughs> A strikeout prop that stood out to me was because of the trend that mid-major Matt gave out with the Chicago Cubs and Colorado Rockies. The Rockies, in 45 of their 54 opposing starters, have had five strikeouts or less in Coors Field. That said, with Colorado having the 23rd strikeout rate in baseball in the last month, I'm looking to the Chicago Cubs right-hander Alec Mills under for, I think it was three and a half on FanDuel Sportsbook. It's only at minus 122 to the under for the juice. I like this because Mills has mm. only had one strikeout in his last two starts. He's gone under the number of three and a half multiple times this year. And if you're going to tell me that majority of starting pitchers in course fields have less than five strikeouts, even though you're getting that range still of four and five in that, tre- in that trend, I'm still willing to say that Alec Mills, who doesn't strike out many batters, is going to go under that total of three and a half. Ben, what do you got?
2: Ariel, have you ever taken an under of a strikeout prop less than three and a half, or is that the lowest under you'd be willing to go?
1: This is my lowest. I've never gone under a... Four and a half has been the lowest I've been an under on. I just did it yesterday in this same kind of game with the Chicago Cubs. So I'm going back to it. Three and a half's killing me. I'm willing to stick with the trend, though.
2: Another three and a half strikeout prop is for the game between the Tigers and the Red Sox, and it's Casey Mises, the starter for Detroit today his strikeout prop now you think three and a half on Casey Mize you might think that looks a little bit low but as mid-major Matt has said and as you have known if you've been following Casey Mize the Tigers have him on a pitch limit so he is not going much more than three four potentially five innings and although the Red Sox have the second highest strikeout rate in all of Major League Baseball since returning from the All-Star break I have to look away from that Casey Mize strikeout prop today however The highest K rate in all of Major League Baseball, the Red Sox are the second, the highest K rate in all of MLB since returning from the all-star break is the San Francisco Giants. Which is funny because they are the best team in all of Major League Baseball right now. But they have the highest strikeout rate in all of MLB since returning in the two and a half weeks since the all-star break. That number is at 25.4%. It goes up to 29%. Against right handed pitching. They are facing Zach Gallen today of the Arizona Diamondbacks in the desert. And when you look at Zach Gallen, I think it really depends on the number. And FanDuel just put out the number of six and a half plus money to the over slightly at plus 104. Zach Gallen has gone over six and a half strikeouts in five of the 12 starts that he has made this year but against San Francisco in two starts this season Zach Gallen has had three strikeouts in each of those two starts against the Giants six and a half though right now against the Giants team that is striking out 29 percent of the time against right-handed pitching since returning from the all-star break and plus money slightly to the over not a bad price I think I would lean that over of Zach Gallon's strikeout prop of six and a half against the Giants today.
1: I'm actually going somewhere else in that game. I gave it out this morning. The team total over for the San Francisco Giants of over four and a half runs. Zach Gallen is in a ballpark in Arizona where they give up the second most home overs in baseball. Gallon has also, if you look at his team totals that have been added, adding up against him when he is pitching at home, team totals, five, four, 11, five, 14 and seven those are the team totals against Zach gallen starts this year only one one of those starts so he's had six starts at home one of them has stayed under the four and a half. The San Francisco Giants to go over four and a half is at minus 122 on FanDuel. The Giants have been, even though they've been off to a relatively slow start this second half of the season, I still could see these totals going over on Zach Allen today in one of the most profitable over ballparks in baseball, Ben.
2: Talking about overs, two of the top five over teams. In all of Major League Baseball face off in the first game that you will see on the Major League Baseball slate today. That is the Minnesota Twins and the Cincinnati Reds. Now, when you look at the Twins, they have the highest over percentage in all of Major League Baseball at 62.1%. Cincy is there with the fifth highest over percentage at 55.5%. That actually works even better when you look at this game today, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the Twins are on the road, and yes, they are. And as the away team this year, the Twins have the highest over percentage in all of MLB at 66%. So you have a lot of overs to be had, but we discussed this with mid-major Matt, and the idea that Luis Castillo, the starter for the Reds today, has been so much better over the past two months than he was to start out the year. An 8.07 ERA in the month of May, sub two in the month of June, right around that two ERA margin in the month of July. The total for today's game between the Twins and the Reds on FanDuel right now is at nine and a half. Now, despite Luis Castillo being a lot better, maybe then you look to the Cincinnati Reds and their team total against the Twins today, that if I pull it up right now, could be enticing as we look at the Reds' team total. Here it is, scrolling down. Five and a half, pretty even juice on both sides. The under minus 112, the over minus 108. Two of the top five over teams in all of Major League Baseball between the Twins and the Red. The Twins the highest at 62.1%, which goes up to 66% in games that Minnesota plays on the road this year.
1: Another strikeout prop that caught my eye because I just saw it pop up on FanDuel, the New York Mets starter, Carlos Carrasco. It's only his second start Mm -hmm. since coming off of the I.L., He is up against Miami, who has the third-highest strikeout rate in baseball, striking out just over 25% of the time, second-highest strikeout rate in the last 30 days, fourth-highest strikeout rate at home, and eighth-highest strikeout rate against right-handed pitchers. I love these metrics because those are the metrics I look for. Which arm are they up against, Uh, righty or lefty, strikeout rate overall, strikeout rate at home or on the road, and strikeout rate in the last 30 days. If you're going to tell me that you're in the top 10 of all those categories for highest K rate in the league, now you have a right-hander in Carlos Carrasco, who averaged just under seven strikeouts per game last year. His pitch count was limited to about sixty pitches in his first start back. He had fifty-eight pitches and he had four strikeouts in that time. I'm not sure what the strikeout, what, or excuse me, I'm not sure what the pitch count may be on Carrasco. That's the only thing that's making me a little hesitant here. It's his second start, and a lot of the times if they feel at the Mets as his first start, we saw it with Jacob DeGrom in the Mets. They got booed out of New York because they pulled DeGrom after the first game of the season. They let him go afterwards. So I could see if Carrasco feels good that the Mets allow for Carrasco to stay in the game against Miami, and he goes further, which gets him more time to have these strikeouts. His strikeout props five and a half. I'd be willing to take the over. Let me see what the juice was. Uh, It was plus 142 to the over 5.5. Essentially, what you're betting on Mm. is his pitch count, Ben.
2: Which is not bad. And Carlos Carrasco is also known by the name of Cookie, the best nickname, in my opinion, in all of Major League Baseball, at least here in New York. Another game featuring a New York team today, the Yankees taking on the Orioles. And you might be looking at this game on paper in the words that I'm about to utter next might thoroughly blow you away but a first five under in a game that Matt Harvey is starting for the Baltimore Orioles at this stage in his career yes a first five under in this game between the O's and the Yanks today because actually it's turning out to be a pretty good pitching matchup here of late Matt Harvey in his last three starts for Baltimore has thrown six or more innings of shutout ball in each of those last three starting outings for matt harvey that's pretty impressive stuff shutouts no earned runs allowed in three straight starts for matt harvey and he has gone six innings or more in all three of those starts on the other side his counterpart today is jamison tyone the starter for new york who has been great here as of late as well he has won six of his last seven starts and in those seven starts jamison tyone has given up ten earned runs so ten earned runs in seven starts but one of those starts against the angels at the end of june jameson tyone allowed five earned runs so he has been very good in most of these starts here as of late and again he has won six of his last seven and when you look at these offenses since returning to action from the all-star break both the yankees and the orioles rank in bottom 10 in wrc plus weighted runs creation plus against right-handed pitching. So the offense hasn't been great since coming back from the All-Star break, and these two pitchers have been very good here as of late. Yes, I know it's crazy to say Matt Harvey in a first five-inning under, but I like the first five-inning under of five-and-a-half. In fact, it has the juice right now on FanDuel at minus-128. But that's where I would look. A first five-under with Matt Harvey on the mound, I'm feeling courageous. I'm taking it. The first five-under, five-and-a-half between the Yankees and the Orioles today.
1: Here's why it is courageous and it scares me to back Matt Harvey. Yet the Yankees have been terrible when it comes to scoring against teams in their division. I would say, yeah, the Yankees' bats might cool off after last night. My only other bet that I haven't given out yet here on the show, it's the Philadelphia Phillies up against the Washington Nationals. The Phillies have the worst win percentage off of a win this year. They won last night 5-4. to four. The Phillies are only winning 38% of their games. Following a win, which I mentioned is the worst of any team in baseball coming off a win. Chase Anderson getting the start for Philadelphia today. The Phillies have lost five of his last eight starts home ERA is a 4.64. Four. Well, they're on the road and his ERA goes up to an 8.74 Anderson when he's on the road. Washington has the best OPS against right-handed pitchers in the last 30 days. I'm going to take the Washington Nationals on the money line. The line's been moving in my favor since last night. Both these teams opened at -108 and moved to Philly at -102 before. Washington ends up moving in to be more of a favorite. An updated look at that number uh phillies minus 102 washington minus 116 on the FanDuel sports book you could get washington still at minus 116 it's not so bad just remember that line was minus 108 last night i really like the Nats today i never really take money lines but here we go gonna try to take a money line instead of a prop and see how it goes coming up next cam rogers he's going to help us break down that st jude's invitational coming up this weekend in the pga you're listening here on sirius xm channel 204 the sports grid network Did you know your wife cries
4: herself to sleep every night? That's what she told us. This is the Sports Grid
1: Radio Network with ben stevens i'm ariel epstein our final guest of the day here on this wednesday as always cam rogers he's here to break down the pga with us it's the saint jude invitational it has been a crazy few weeks for these golfers cam you've seen these golfers go abroad now they're back in america they're going to be in memphis this weekend how does this impact the way you handicap the players that have been participating abroad
4: what's going on guys great to be with you as always yeah i think i have to check my own pulse right now like i am out of breath tracking all of the travel that has gone on here on the pga tour within the last month right we're talking about going across the pond to royal st george's for the open championship then we had the 3m open back here in the states of course we had the olympics out there in tokyo and now we're back in the States here for the FedEx St. Jude Invitational in Memphis, Tennessee. It is certainly worth monitoring when you're looking at these players this week in terms of who in particular played last week at the Olympics, right? We're talking about Xander Schauffele, Patrick Reed, who is on an absolute tear right now in terms of the amount of golf he has played lately. Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa. Fatigue is certainly a factor here. We're not just talking about A six hour flight to England, guys. We're talking about what is it, fourteen hours from the East Coast to Tokyo? And it's a long and grueling trip, even for people who are just going for leisure, not to compete in the Olympics, right? So when you're thinking about handicapping this week, I think you have to sort of get away from those type of golfers, especially Azander Shoffley, who may come and regress to the mean a little bit after his gold medal victory. You know, it's certainly understandable if he lays down a little bit this week at the WGC. So I think it's certainly worth considering. I would not go all the way in on like fading the guys who played last week. But, you know, I would talk to you against it.
2: So Cam, one of the guys that did not make the trip last week to the Tokyo Olympics is the favorite right now in the FanDuel Sportsbook. And that would be Brooks Kepka at plus 1100. Is there value on Brooks for this week's event in Memphis?
4: You know, it's funny. When we have a small field event like this, guys, it's hard to use the V word value because it's absolutely stacked. 48 of the top 50 in the official World Golf rankings, teeing it up this week in Memphis. So... You essentially have to take a stand on the favorites this week. Are you going Brooks? Are you going Dustin Johnson? Are you going Justin Thomas? Are you going Colin Morikawa? You can't bet on everyone, right? And there are a lot of reasons why you should bet on the last four players that I just listed off, for instance. But I think if there is a week to go with the top of the board in the outright market, Brooks Kepka is a guy that makes a lot of sense to me. A winner here in 2019, ranks fourth in birdies or better within the last 50 rounds. Birdies are better is critical this week in a no-cut event. He's second with his irons, second in ball striking over the last 24 rounds, rates out above average in correlated stat categories across the board here. So for somebody like a Brooks Kepka, who can't miss the cut this week, by the way, because it's inter- interesting, you look at his results lately, it's been top six or missed cut. I think it makes some sense to go with the favorite this week because a guy who is obviously rested, didn't play last week, as you mentioned, Ben, at the Olympics. So Brooks Kepka. I would not talk you out of going with him in the outright market. I know it's very short, but still typically the favorites do win here.
1: Cam, we do have your Cam's Keys that we love to walk through each week here on the grid. And one of your keys was Birdie Makers. Also, that you just hopped out of the shower, got some Old Spice Swagger body wash going, so you felt like making a video, which all the power to you. I mean, if you're feeling good, you got to make your picks feel good, too. And you say Birdie Makers. And Old Spice are the keys to success this week.
4: Old Spice is always the key, folks, for ultimate swagger. I mean, I'm not just oh for swagger. Right I there. use Swagger Body Wash. Ready a product display? By the way, there's no paid ad here. I pay them to sponsor them. That's how that works. Yeah. So let's talk about birdie makers. huh? Who are the top five, and birdies are better in this field? Colin Morikawa, Jason Kokrak. Scotty Scheffler, Victor Hovland, Jordan Spieth. Why do we want birdie makers? You're getting four guaranteed rounds from these guys outside of a withdrawal, mm. of course. So you really want the aggressive players out there. I think Scotty Scheffler really makes some sense for me. This week, I have him in a matchup play that we can talk about later. But in terms of the outright in a top 10, also makes some sense. He's played really well at the big events this year, 15th at this event last season, a top five at the WGC Workday Championship this year, and a runner up at the Match Play, another WGC event. So he shows up for those World Golf Championships, which is obviously critical. Over the past 24 rounds, he's top 30 in approach, 16th in par four efficiency. This is a shorter course, if you will, in terms of the pars. So you have a lot of par fours and I think it makes some sense for going with somebody like a Scotty Scheffler this week who makes a ton of birdies. Jordan Spieth, too, coming off a runner-up finish at the Open Championship, right? Feeling good, well-rested, no Olympics for him last week. He makes some sense as well. So, yeah, I think you need to really zone in on the guys who can rack birdies in bunches, because if you don't, and trust me, a lot of guys will, then you're going to fall behind here in this leaderboard, because I think this is a very gettable golf course, TPC Southwind.
2: So a shorter field with a ton of big names. So, Cam, where do you look in the finishing positions for this week's event?
4: Yeah, so obviously I had that whole spiel talking about fading, perhaps the guys who played last week. But here I go, not fading one of them. Rory McIlroy, I've got him for a top 10 this week. Plus 175, coming off a fourth place finish at the Olympics. Fifth best iron player in this field within the last 24 rounds. I actually finished T4 here with a second round 62 back in 2019. That's what Rory can do, guys. He can go absolutely nuclear and win out of nowhere, even with no form. Now, he's coming in with pretty good form this week. So I'm on Rory McIlroy there. I also like Dustin Johnson. He's not getting a lot of buzz in the golf community this week. I've got him for a top 10 plus 170. That number got shorter within the last 12 hours here. But he's a two-time winner at TPC Southwind. First in strokes game total on par 70s over the last 24 rounds. He was eighth at the Open Championship, well-rested as well. So I like DJ there for a top 10. And then I'm not playing top 30 or top 40 this week, guys, because there's really no value, essentially, with a small field like this. So two top 20 finishers. Number one, Sergio Garcia, plus 175 to get that done. His tee to green game is absolutely elite. His putter is absolutely atrocious. If he's just field average with his putter, that's all we ask, or maybe lose one stroke to the field with his putter, he should finish inside the top 20. His iron game is absolutely unbelievable right now. And then speaking of iron game, Shane Lowry, the Irishman for top 20 plus 160, that number got a little bit shorter over the last 12 hours here. But he's gained strokes on approach in 10 straight events. He was T six here last year. He's a big game hunter too, like Scotty Scheffler. Shows up at the majors, shows up at the WGCs, shows up at the playoffs as well for the FedEx Cup. So Shane Lowry, top twenty, top or top twenty, lock that in.
1: Cam Rogers, our PGA analyst here on the grid, also going to be the next featured Old Spice commercial promo guy. So make sure to keep an eye out for him replacing Ray Lewis on the commercials. Cam, when it comes to the props, you know I love my props. Where are you going on this St. Jude Invitational Board?
4: Yeah, Ariel, last segment you went money line. I'm like, what is she doing? Where are the props? This Never. is not who she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the props here this week, guys. Top Aussie. Adam Scott, plus 490. This number got a little bit longer, which I like. All he has to do is beat out Cam Smith, in my opinion. Adam Scott actually has a really good history at no-cut events, which is really interesting to me. You wouldn't expect that, but he has that resume. And he's actually one of the top putters in this field. Another thing you would not expect Mm. out of Mr. Adam Scott. So I like where that's at there. Really good number, in my opinion. Top rest of world player, Corey Connors, is 10 to 1. The ball striking continues to be immaculate. Solid top 15 finish at the Olympics. Four top 20s in his last five major championships. I'm not too concerned about the competition in this bucket here. So I'd like Corey Connors, with that number, to be the top rest of world player this week. He's so consistent. And then how about a top American play, which I typically don't like to do because it's really hard because there's so much talent out there on the american side of things but tony Fee now at 26 to one i'm not gonna throw out many stats in terms of my logic here i'm just gonna say it's more of a dart throw a sprinkle play if you will but we're talking about a guy who has shown up before at major championships premier driver of the golf ball can make a ton of birdies really crushes the par fives as well bomber off the tee blah 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 go with tony Fee now i think it's worth a sprinkle this week with that fat number there at 26 to one
2: Sometimes, Cam, the price is just too nice for you to pass up on. So we've done the future outrights, we've done finishing positions, we've done the prop market. Now let's get into the matchups. Cam, where are you looking this week?
4: Yeah, let's talk about Paul Casey, my outright pick, by the way, over Hideki Matsuyama, minus 104 for Paul. He has been more consistent this season, in my opinion, than Hideki Matsuyama, who, by the way, just played in the Olympics and played pretty well so did paul but here's the difference i think kadeki coming off a really emotional fantastic performance out there in his home country could probably lead to some extra fatigue this week so i'm taking paul casey he's been as i said more consistent over the pga tour calendar year here premier ball striker he's actually the second best iron player in this field call morikawa is number one of course i've got scotty scheffler over Bryson DeChambeau coming off COVID, right? When somebody's coming off COVID, I typically go the other direction. And so I already talked about how I love Scotty Scheffler this week, really balanced game, has played well at the WGC so far this year. So minus 112, Scotty Scheffler there. Tyrrell Hatton, minus 106 over Harris English. And Hatton doesn't get much respect out there in the community. From a macro standpoint, I know he's coming off two straight missed cuts, but those were at major championships, right? Over the last 24 rounds, he's ninth in this loaded field and strokes gained tee to green, tenth in opportunities gained, and inside the top 20 with his irons and off the tee as well. So I'll take him over uh, Harris English there. And then Adam Scott, minus 112 over Justin Rose. Talked about Scott. He's first in this field with his putter, and Rose has been – A little too inconsistent for me. He's like gaining 10 strokes with his putter sometimes and finishing inside the top 10. And that's just not sustainable, in my opinion, for somebody like a Justin Rose. So Adam Scott, a guy who has played well historically at the WGC's and no cut events is my play over Justin Rose.
1: Only about a minute left, Cam, and the Ryder Cup is the next big thing coming up in the next month. It's coming up at the end of September. What implications is the Ryder Cup going to have on the next few weeks on the PGA Tour?
4: Oh, it matters a lot, especially in terms of captain's picks, guys, right? Because you have to sort of read the tape, see who's playing well. Does Phil Mickelson get in because he's not qualified as we stand right now? So I think the next few weeks matter a lot. We're talking about the FedEx Cup playoffs, by the way, high stakes events. The captains out there will be watching those. Let me just say about the Ryder Cup, guys, as we wrap up. America, 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 all the way. You look at the standings right now and the players on each team, and America is just totally outweighing Europe as we stand in terms of talent. So go America all the way.
1: Cam Rogers, thank you for joining us again on this Wednesday, talking all things we need to know about the PGA. Good luck to your pe- your uh, picks this weekend, and we'll see you again soon.
4: You got it, guys. Take care.
1: Coming up next, Ben and I are going to go through our best bets of the day until bet do us part. You're listening here on SiriusXM channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. I still haven't given in my best bet of the day, so I am a little nervous about what to choose, but I'll figure it out in the next two and a half minutes. Stay on the grid. segment on the morning after on sports grid. Thanks for tuning in on Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. It's time for our best bets of the day. Let's get to to get to us My best bet of the day is the San Francisco Giants team total over four and a half. It's just a minus 122 on the FanDuel Sportsbook. I love this play because Arizona has the second most home overs in Major League Baseball. Their pitcher today is Zach Gallon. In all but one start this year when Gallen's at home, The team against him has gone over this total of four and a half runs. Gallon has had six home starts and five of the six opponents have finished their game going over four and a half runs against him. Give me the Giants team total over of four and a half. Ben, what do you got?
2: Ariel, I have missed basketball props, frankly. And tonight, Team USA plays Australia in the Olympic men's semifinals at 12.15 a.m. Eastern. So I guess this best bet for today is kind of a best bet for tomorrow if you really want to dive into it. But regardless, Team USA, favored by 12. The total is 180 and a half. But we dive in to the prop market and we look at the points prop. Not Kevin Durant, not Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum going over his points prop. Of 12 and a half. Jason Tatum has gone over this number in three of the four games at the Olympics, including 13 against Spain to advance to the semifinal round. He is averaging nearly 16 points per game at the Olympics for Team USA. So I think Jason Tatum goes over this points prop tonight of 12 and a half and Team USA advances to the gold medal game at the Tokyo Olympics.
1: I cannot believe we've got Team USA bets, a prop bet here on the show Thanks for joining us here on The Morning After. For Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. If Ben's hit pick doesn't hit, well, it's because he apparently has a mouse that's running through his apartment, and he hasn't been sleeping. So you yeah. got to give him yeah. a little bit of some room here to breathe. But thank you for coming on with us here on The Morning After and joining us. We'll be back tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern time with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Make sure to tune in to SportsGrid. you got FST coming up next here on SportsGrid. Sirius XM, we've got some more programming as well. We will see you tomorrow. Good luck to your bets tonight, and hopefully, Ben can get some sleep for tomorrow.